0: This is Catalog and Cocktails. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's Wednesday once again, and it's time for Catalog and Cocktails. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data. And you've got Tim Gasper over here. I am a data nerd and product guy and joined by co-host Juan. Hey, Juan.
1: Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at data.world, and it's Wednesday, middle of the week, uh, end of the day, and it's time to take a break and chat about data and all that stuff that we do here at Catalog and Cocktails. And today, we have a very special guest because all our guests are awesome. They're so cool and very special. But Today, we have Kirk Bourne. And Kirk is, I mean, who doesn't know who Kirk Bourne is, right? He's like one of the top Influencers in the world on data science. And he's also the chief science officer at Data Prime. Kirk, how are you doing?
2: Good. Thank you. Glad to be here. This is great.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So we always like to kind of kick it off, you know, with our, our talent toast. So what are you drinking and what are you toasting for? So- uh, well, I'm drinking water. <laughs>
2: <laughs> my, my wife said avoid anything else. <laughs> I'm drinking water. And uh, I guess I'm toasting the start of the school near, year because it's all about learning. For me my lifelong learning is a passion of mine and i have grandkids now and I, when i see them getting excited about going to school i said this is this is wonderful so toasting all the teachers educators administrators students yeah. and that's rep- your year- parents wait a minute we haven't covered everybody in the world yet <laughs> <laughs> how
1: about you tim
2: uh, no, that's awesome. By
0: the way, I'm, I'm going to end up toasting to the, the same thing because we're actually getting um, getting our kids going in school now. I got one kid in in-person school and I got one in virtual school and I got one who isn't in school yet. So, oh my goodness, things <laughs> are just still crazy. Um, but the, the drink that I've created today, uh, it's actually based on a, um, a shrub cocktail called La Hoya. But instead of tequila, I made it with Pisco uh, and I actually added a little bit of blue mm. curacao in here to make it look like a turquoise color. So I call it a trisacola, which is a uh, Peruvian (laughs) gemstone. Uh, This is a Tim special. I I don't think this
2: exists. So uh, hopefully this tastes good. (laughs) Awesome. I haven't had Pisco since my trip to Chile.
1: Always a good good discussion is where does Pisco come from, either from Chile or Peru? That's another... uh, Oh, uh, I don't
2: know, (laughs) but I had some in Chile.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm... I'm, um... I look, I do, I only have two things right now where I am. I have beer and vodka. So I looked up, <laughs> what can I do with beer and vodka? And here you go. It's a twist on the Shandy beer. So I have a Stella. I added some of this tamarind not vodka. I had some honey and lemon. And it actually is really, really good. I'm surprised. Like You would not think vodka and beer would go together. At least this vodka that I have. It kind of
0: does (laughs) sound disgusting, I'll say. (laughs) I
1: I would. (laughs) Yes. And I'm actually uh, toasting for today is my wife's birthday. uh, Hey, happy birthday. Happy birthday to my wife, Fabiola. Cheers. Happy Uh, birthday. And uh, cheers, Kirk. Welcome.
0: Glad to have you here.
1: Awesome. So our warm-up question today is, uh, what is the buzzword that makes you want to pull your hair out?
2: Well, I don't have much left, but uh, (laughs) you've gone through a lot of buzzwords, right? I've thought about (laughs) it, and uh, I guess one of the words that really gets me going is uh, maybe two words together: exponential growth. Because (laughs) people (laughs) use that phrase and they have no clue really what they're talking about. (laughs) Because exponential growth doesn't mean that it's going up; it it means it's going up at a certain rate. So (laughs) anyway, so, uh, so so. to tie that back to a, a data comment, I, I would often tell people the difference between linear growth, exponential growth, and combinatorial growth. All right, so linear growth is like two times X, exponential is like two to the X power, and combinatorial is like X factorial, which is like X to the X power. So that's way faster than two to the X x to the X. And so when I, people say to me they have exponential growth of data, I would say, really? So little. <laughs> You're and here, that, they're that, like, why are you making me be literal here?
0: Like, <laughs> I'm trying to that evoke way. a feeling.
1: <laughs> that, that's the uh, honest, no BS right there. How, Tim, how about you? <laughs> uh,
0: one of the buzz uh, phrases that I've been uh, very annoyed with lately uh, makes, my, makes me want to pull some of my hairs out is the phrase data intelligence which to me, like, I know people are trying to apply it to represent certain areas of like, you know, doing more with your data and being smarter with it and driving action back. But like, I feel like it's such a generic phrase. And when folks are saying like, we're trying to achieve data intelligence, I'm like, well, and any, I mean, anything you do with data is hypothetically, hopefully a, a, an intelligent use of that data.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I forget the phrase, I'll, I'll look it up again, but it's like the opposite. Wait, so you would do something unintelligent with data no it's obvious that whatever you want to go do with data is intelligent so you're telling me the obvious thank you yeah, I yesterday
0: guess. I was doing data stupidity but then I had a, a, a you know a euph- a euphoric moment where I was like oh I gotta do I gotta do data intelligence so
2: that's <laughs> what well, uh, well maybe that's what they're saying <laughs> maybe
1: <laughs> <laughs> well mine is, is there's a combination one is uh, the, the old one that we've been that uh, now old but big data. I mean, the the whole, oh, we're doing big data. We're doing big data. I'm like, wait a minute. it The amount of data you're dealing with fits in my pocket. Literally, it fits on my phone. Heck no, it's not big data. right. And then when we start talking about efficiency and scalability, it's like, wait, wait, what does efficiency actually mean in your context and stuff? So yeah, people like to throw those words around. And, and what does this actually mean? So hey, I always say words matter. So talking about words matter, let, let's jump into this discussion. So Kurt. Honest, no BS. We're going to start demystifying some buzzwords here. What the heck is Industry 4.0 or Industrial Revolution 4.0? I know I've heard and seen this more from the Europeans, right? Especially the Germans use a lot Industry 4.0. This is something I don't see a lot in the US, but we're kind of starting to see it more. And and what the heck is Industry 4.0?
2: Well, I think, uh, the Germans are onto something there. So, so, uh, I like to t- talk about it in the context of the first three industrial revolutions. Uh, so industry 4.0 represents the fourth and, and, and the first came about uh, with the steam, uh, power steam, engine over 200 years ago. And I specifically make reference to how the industrial revolutions changed the way work is done. So at the at the dawn of the first industrial revolution, 90% of the U S workforce was doing farming. And then 100 years later, the electricity revolution started, and electricity became the main source of power in industry. And at, by the time this was underway, as a result of the preceding industrial revolution, uh, in that 100 years, the, the number, the percentage of the work, US workforce that was farming went, dropped from 90% to 50%. Well, in the next 100 years or 80 years or so, uh, probably about 80 years or so, uh, we we got to the computer revolution, which is the third industrial revolution. It really started about uh, 50 years ago, and so the computer revolution. By the time that started, the number of people, who uh, workforce percentage doing farming dropped in that from the previous revolution from 50 now down to 5%. So the key thing during all these re- revolutions is 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 not just sort of sort of the power source, if you will, but also what the, the 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 way we do work. Okay, so so people starting with almost everyone doing farming to half the population doing farming to just a tiny percentage of the percentage of the population workforce doing farming to the to the current age we're literally half percent like a half a percent of the workforce in this country farmers and yet we're feeding 10 times as many people as we were 200 years ago at least these people and so what's what is it that's really different is it's so we're still in the computer age right has that hasn't changed in 50 years so what's really changed is this era of hyperconnectivity. connectivity everything is connected right and so so through our smartphones through our devices even our cars are connected our our homes are connected the roads are connected everything is so it's really an era of hyperconnectivity. connectivity so what powers thing is the knowledge that is transported across the computer networks. So it's not just using computer networks to connect to a computer, which is sort of how the computer revolution began. It's now knowledge itself is being transmitted across the networks and it's powering work, it's powering homes, it's powering life. Think about work from home in the last year. I mean, all this hyper-connectivity. I don't think we could have worked from home 50 years ago, even if we are even let's say 35, 40 years ago when the PC revolution started. If we just gave everyone a PC and said, go work from home, it just never would have worked out. But I think because we have this hyperconnectivity connectivity uh, across everything, our platforms, our banks, our homes, our cars, our, our smartphones, our apps, uh, Zoom calls, or, you know, platforms like this. I mean, we're just all connected. And so the way work goes now is completely different than it ever used to. be. So that's that's how I see industrial revolution. It, it's sensors and data everywhere powering and informing and changing uh, the way we do things.
1: So, so to kind of pick up, be a little pedantic on here. Wouldn't this just be like 3.2 or 3.3? I mean, because the, the things that, you're, that you mentioned before, like steam, electricity, computer, like these things fundamentally changed society, right? From going from steam to electricity and then going to computers. But what you're talking about are more kind of specific type of computers, right? Yeah, well, like-
2: not well. I, I would say like AI, for example, uh, is probably the thing that's fundamentally different than just having the computers we had 50 years ago. And it's and it's, it's sort of like a parallel to farming because, because people didn't stop doing farming when this when the steam engine came along. They just did their farming with steam powered plows and steam powered combines and things like that, right? So we, they were still doing things similar. It's just that the way they did it was so, so much more effective. It freed up people to do other things. And that's what I think AI is doing. I mean, I, I mean I've been looking a lot into sort of voice assistants and how voice assistants, you know, and customer call centers and, and a lot of different ways, how it's really changing the way that that customers interact with businesses and, you know, how clients and business providers interact with one another. So it's not really like necessarily changing that we're do, how we're doing business. It's just the whole transformative way of efficiencies and effectiveness of different things are made so much better that we can now start trying many new different kinds of things. And so that's really the revolution. It's, it's, it's really this transformation and disruption of the old ways and introducing all kinds of new ways. And I think the AI part of that story, because AI is act, to be in really an intelligence, and, and maybe this is my, my, my sort of closing comment on this, is, is that intelligence to me uh, is really about not just having, you know finding uh, one pattern in a one stream of data, right? So, you, so let's say you have a time series uh and then you're seeing a you see a a sudden rise or decline or a glitch or something in the time series that's not really intelligence intelligence is the full cognitive awareness of why did that happen what's what's going on around that and so so we talk about i mean in psychology you talk about cognitively impaired people right so a cognitively impaired person could walk into a room And make some really off-the-cuff comment that just just doesn't (laughs) it doesn't work in the in that room right they can't can't read the room like i I walk into a board meeting and i make some silly comical comment during a very serious time in my business that's really not being very cognitively aware of what's going on so cognitive intelligence is about seeing and getting data and information from everything else in the environment so you make the best decision and take the best action and so i think what ai does for us is if it's really going to be an AGI, a general intelligence. It has to have this sort of cognitive ability of getting context. And this is where the hyper-connectivity of industrial revolution 4.0 gives us that connectivity to the context in which things are happening in our world, in our work, uh, in our lives, in our homes, even in our cars.
0: That's interesting. Uh, you know, you, you, when you talk about hyper-connectivity, obviously there's a connectedness and networking aspect to what you're talking about here. Uh, But then when you talk about AI, there's more of a sort of the way we're applying the models, the fact that we're able to leverage the data in a smarter way. Um, You know, when I mentioned about like my buzz phrase, right, data intelligence, it sounds like you're, you're also kind of connecting it to how that phrase can actually be a useful phrase, which is to think of that as a as a goal, as a higher sort of plane of what we're doing with our data with our computers that actually is novel is a step up um is that is that the right way to think about it and and then secondly like so why are people getting so excited like what's so what is actionable about this that's different than you know maybe the computer revolution and 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 what that enabled
2: well well i think you hit the the nail the head there with connected intelligence right so for one thing for sure uh you just think about breaking down the silos in business i mean businesses always have been not always but for many years decades have been doing business intelligence but that business intelligence usually lived in silos so the marketing department you know the 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 product department the sales department the customer care department those people didn't share data with one another so maybe people Mm -hmm. are calling up about some defect in the product and no one's getting the message Mm -hmm. and in some other part of the business so the connected intelligence is what's really making this difference. And of course, there's so much data, it's hard to do that without some something to orchestrate the flow of that information and knowledge. And that's where the hyper-connectivity and AI come together. So let me give you an example of how something can be really different from what historically is, and that's the digital twin. So digital twins are really big in Germany. So you talk about Germany being push, pushing pushing yeah.
1: into 4.0. I'm glad we bring in digital twin because that's like another buzzword that comes in here. So what is a digital twin?
2: So a digital twin is a computer model of a real physical thing so nasa was one of the first agencies or groups in the world to actually introduce digital twins where they made a computer model of the thing which they deployed in deep space okay so they could run it through the paces of the thing going on in deep space so whenever there was a problem they could sort of re replay it They they could they have the data they've collected the data from the real physical system And they can just basically re-record it or not re-record it but replay the recording so to speak and figure out sort of what was going on when it when it glitched okay what kind of things are happening and 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 find a solution so industries are doing this now you know in manufacturing plants on 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 engines of all sorts jet engines all kinds of engines i've seen that i actually walked through a a virtual reality demo of a windmill a, a, a solar a wind powered not wind powered wind energy generated windmill where they actually had the ability to, in this vr environment to to actually go to climb into the gearbox of this 200 foot tall tower and and poke around in, in the in the electronics to see what was the problem but you're not really in the gearbox you're just you're, you're actually in a, in a simulated environment of virtual reality world playing with the simulation of that windmill so if i tweak this tweak that how does it behave and so you can actually, excuse me, fix problems, identify precursor in, uh, problems like preventive and predictive maintenance and that kind of thing in the computer before something really bad happens. And, and so building these sort of connections between real world and simulated world is really one of the real amazing differences now uh, in this hyperconnectivity we're now talking about. And and in the past you could probably build that simulated ins- instance of the physical thing, but you never could really connect the two data sources.
1: So okay, so a couple of things I want to dive in here. One is, we, we as I mentioned, Industry 4.0 is something that we that we hear more coming from Europe, especially from from Germany in particular. Um, I postulate then that the reason why this happens is because um, you have the Germans are great on manufacturing, right, on cars and stuff. We I mean, talk about the digital twin, right? It's about manufacturing, about engines and stuff like that. So is is that kind of the connection right there? That that's one. S- second, I here in the us i'm starting to go see the hear this more And actually i think many many years ago started like with ge right ge was like one of the first companies i started hearing more they talk about digital twins again for manufacturing now i i get the definition of digital twin it comes from like the actual engine or stuff right i like how you just said it's a computer model of the real thing that you want to go simulate it basically you want to go replay what happened before the thing that really I, I I call BS at this moment because it's still not clear to me, and people are just throwing this word is when they say digital twin for any other non-manufacturing <laughs> enterprise, right? And It's like, well, here's my I don't know I'm an I'm an e-commerce company and whatever, like, and we have a digital twin ourselves, it's like digital twin of what of your entire company yeah, or... is is it fair what? to
0: apply it that broadly like for example i've heard people talk about digital twins in the context of like uh, of like marketing and like trying to to do something around a, a person doing things and and you know, this is their digital twin like it, you know can can we use it in that way or is it really more of a sensors and and more of a you know manufacturing type of situation that it's more appropriate for
2: well i think you get to these extremes where you know people will use that word again as a buzzword okay let's say it that way versus mm. a, a, a more real practical thing and i've seen yeah i've seen digital twins of entire manufacturing plants i mean articles that talk about the digital twin of an entire manufacturing plant but what i what, what i think sort of what softens the blow in that conversation is it's all about the sensors and the data we collect from sensors that lead to predictive models that is predicting when if something will happen given the stream of data. It's also about prescriptive models Say, well, if we tweak this, what will the outcome be? If we tweak that, what will the outcome be? And so I can see that being a very reasonable thing in marketing, for example, or a very reasonable thing in a manufacturing assembly liner, for example, if we change this or change that, what would the outcome look like? And so you have to have a pretty high fidelity model of the thing you're you're simulating, right? You, you, You don't have some simple model. You need to have a model that really captures all the moving parts so to speak whether it's a customer or an e-commerce store or a windmill or a jet engine you need need a, to a lot a model, of data right or, or, or good a good signal server. exactly so now you need a lot of data you need the predictive models okay the causal models which i call the prescriptive models like what will cause what to happen if we tweak something uh but also uh root cause analysis models where you can replay the data when the thing did fail to say well what was it in the history of this that caused the failure so we don't have let allow that to happen again and so you got to have high fidelity you got to have data and again again there's got to be this connectivity because it's not just simulation of data it's taking the real data from the real system and and this and what's called assimilating it into the model into the simulation so data assimilation i learned from nasa days and that's a really powerful tool where you bring in the real live data into the simulation to, get, to update it
1: so well, I think a, a big thread here is about connectivity. And we're talking about when it comes to connectivity of data, it seems that we have a lot in the manufacturing space. At least there's a lot of sensors. And I think that's one of the stuff that you, we get a lot of data, and that data needs to be connected and stuff. But then there's also this connectivity of knowledge, which in reality is going to give us that extra context, give us of all that data that we're producing to understand what it means, such that we can go and go do more fancy AI stuff. Because if we're just focused on the data itself, I mean, th- without that context, without that knowledge, it's almost kind of still garbage in, garbage out in a way. Or we get enough, but we but we're getting the obvious in a way. Th- that that's kind of a, the a takeaways I'm getting right now is yeah. data connectivity of data with sensors and connectivity of knowledge is what we really need for AI.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, I'm going to get a little philosophical here. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's been this this diagram that people have used for years talking about going from data. To information, to knowledge, to wisdom—we've all seen that pyramid, right? And so, I so I actually use that a lot in my talks. I say, "Well, what is data? Well, data are the ones and the zeros. Those are the bytes you collect from your sensors. So, by themselves, they're just ones and zeros. Information is, is something you extract from the ones and zeros. So, so let's say I ha- I have a satellite image. This is my example from NASA. People look at a satellite image and say, "Oh, that's a cool picture of a volcano or a flood or an iceberg or something." But if you just gave someone this file and you didn't tell them what it was and they tried to break it apart they would just see ones and zeros that's all you'd see all right so we just we, we know it's an image so we actually display it as an image but what you extract from that image is for example the location of the event the type of event you know how big it is time of day you extract information from the ones and zeros now you connect that to something else so here's a flood well that's well gee there was this uh Wildfire in that part of the country last year burned all the brush which made all the the topsoil run off and therefore you end up with this floodplain Because all the the fires Basically burned out the 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 brush that would have withstood, you know the heavy rain So now you got this runoff and you got this flood and so NASA is analyzing You know floods across the world in in the the context of climate change when you look at increased number of wildfires and increased drought conditions and all kinds of stuff and so you, so now you're connecting all these pieces of information from the data bits <laughs> to great knowledge and from that knowledge i say when this happens this will happen and so that connectivity now gives you the wisdom and know how to act know what to do next because you, you see the sort of the causal connection between things instead of instead of like i said before i take an image of this location on earth i take an image a year later and i see something's different oh okay so there's something different Okay, I saw something different. Someone wants to know well, why, how, what. <laughs> I mean, you, you, that's how you become a cognitively intelligent person, and that's how we, our intelligence, our data, our AI becomes cognitive, and our real AI becomes intelligent about seeing those factors, those causal connections. Again, and but also building, able to build predictions from it, predictive models, and then, and then again, prescriptive models. That is, well, how can we do something so it doesn't happen this way again?
1: Yeah, I I I I love how you're saying the real the, the notion of being cognitive is ask the why. I think that's something really important that that we as humans ask to why, right? And we, if we're expecting machines, AI to go do that, like that's the true kind of measure right there is not the intelligence of how cognitive things are because we ask why does why is this happening? And I love that same example that you're doing about the the data, information, knowledge. I, I my example is if I see a number, right? Okay, here's a number. 42 what does that mean hmm? i don't know well then that's, next- a good, that's a good choice by the way yeah i, uh, <laughs> purpose. I do that right <laughs> okay well then I, ne- next to 42 i have this thing called usd oh that's a currency so now 42 usd can mean something about a price or whatever right but then you want to go get more context around it. it's like well i have this thing an attribute called the net sales oh something was sold in this and then you get more context about it oh there's a an order and there's a customer and so forth. Right. And then you start asking these questions. It's like, wait, who's buying this and why are they buying it? how come they're not buying more? Right. Or how come they're buying or less and so forth? Right. So uh, I, I did. This is this is a great uh, way of thinking about it. Uh, having these examples of all the way from data, all the way to wisdom. I, I love this.
2: And that's and you just described the whole connectivity thing. You're, you're connecting all these different dots, if you will, all the all the data points to get the understanding of that number, that 42. Yeah.
1: Uh, Tim, as we always say,
2: things. it's oh, ahead,
1: yeah. knowledge. No, knowledge first, right? This is the stuff that we're realizing right now that we're we've always been in this data first world. That we just need to start thinking about. It's not just data first; it's knowledge first. It's connectivities, mm-hmm. people, and
0: yeah. connections and context. Yeah, I, I love where this conversation's going here. Mm-hmm. And you know, as we talked about. um you know uh, sensors and around industrial revolution 4.0 uh you know this idea of sensors and getting all this information it kind of leads to our second buzz phrase here which is intelligent edge um and one of the things that i'm very curious kirk is how do you think about what is the intelligent edge and you know what are the implications of that does that just mean like You know right now we're gathering lots of data and it's going in in our data warehouse and we're running our big models on it and that kind of thing and just we're going to push more of that to the edge we're going to process more to the edge i guess what do you think what is intelligent edge
2: well it has a lot to do with autonomous systems first of all all right so clearly you can collect data store it in a data warehouse and spend the next six months analyzing it and so you don't want to do that in a self-driving car right so a child walks in front of the car while you're driving and a, a camera is watching the front of your car and it sends the data back to the cloud and you analyze that data and 15 minutes later you say to the car oh you need to apply your brakes well it's kind of late 15 minutes later because right? <laughs> the kid is in front of your car 15 minutes ago okay so the intelligence edge is the ability to for for a system to respond and take an action take a decision or whatever at the point of data collection now that requires something called edge computing that is putting the smarts at as close to the point of data collection as and so we, we now have sensors that have ml built in so you may you have heard of tiny ml so tiny ml is an example and there's other things like this it's sort of they sort of neural chips sort of neural processing chips nips that will actually do process in neural networks even on the chip as you as you collect the data so it it, it, it basically so computer vision is this a, a, is a straightforward example right your car needs to in- interpret what's in, fr- in that image <laughs> so can, the car can take the right action in that moment, but there's also intelligent edge of things which are sort of, you know, sort of less critical or less in, you know, intense. Is that it's for example just postal code scanners, right? So the, a package runs through your mail and it scans like zillions of packages per minute, and it, it and it reads those postal codes which are written by human hands. So the people write numbers in all kinds of different ways. Okay, so there's there's examples. Uh, there's intelligent as even in an e-commerce store that the moment a person is clicking on something, maybe. There's an action that could be taken by autonomously by the, you know, the web, anal- driven by the web analytics of that, that particular customer interaction. I um, mean, even in Fitbits, you know, or, or, or wearable health devices, uh, you know, you, you want to get some kind of feedback. For example, if you're getting some kind of a alarm that your heart rate is out of, <laughs> out, of out of balance when you're exercising, uh, you want to get that alarm now, not after you've, passed out on the street <laughs> okay, so, so intelligent ads is really about uh, getting that intelligence and that and it, and it includes the cognitive thing we've been we were just talking about the contextual information around that at the point of data collection so the edge can be anything it, it can be that at the point a self-driving car it can be in, in a health environment it can be in a manufacturing environment anywhere where you sort of like needed you need information knowledge and understanding at the point of data collection <laughs>
1: so th- this is reality today everything i mean all those examples that you're stating right now those are happening right now so th- this intelligent edge of it's not it's not a buzzword anymore then it's 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 a reality
2: well what or, makes it different now is the internet of things so it's because the internet of things is predicted to be you know i don't know 25 trillion device twenty five trillion sensors on the world so we're really cr- creating an intelligent edged world right and 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 i've seen the numbers that d- different groups have sort of projected the, the 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 market value of the intelligent things market is is anywhere from one trillion to you know several trillions of dollars in the next 10 years and so this so businesses are realizing that they just can't bring all that data back to a warehouse and ex- try to extract the knowledge and intelligence out of it over a period of weeks or months they need it now action now Excuse me. So the um So I like to talk about Internet of Things a lot about this and and I like to use a phrase for the Internet of Things I call it the Internet of Context Okay, so the all these sensors in in your manufacturing plant in your car in your smart home in your smart city are giving you Contextual information about that environment. Okay, what's going on in that space that help you so when you see something unusual in a particular sensor you now have the context of what, what's going on at that same time in that same area so, so all these sensors by themselves give you information about whatever it's sensing but also gives you contextual information about the environment it's, it's situated in whether it's in a manufacturing plant your home your car your city whatever
0: so, so the internet of
2: context to me is is powering the intelligent edge because it's not just the one again like you said before it's not just the ones and zeros the 42 it's what else? What else does that forty two correspond to, or what is it related to? What is it connected to? What is it associated with? Being able to embed more meaning in all of this,
0: um, you know, we've got a lot of folks on this podcast that are that are data people, right? Whether that's you know analysts or architects or um, you know folks that are organizing governance initiatives and things like that, and as they think about the intelligent edge, there's obviously an aspect of this that is more you know how this is you know the sensors and the intelligence are being implemented in the products themselves into the assembly line uh, how does this impact data professionals right Is does the stack change does the skill set change what's what's the
2: impact and relevance there i'm sure it does i mean so i'm not a, data I'm, not <laughs> a data find out <laughs> I'm not a data engineer. together uh, i'm not a data engineer i've worked with a lot of data engineers but i never pretend to be one so i'm sure the stack's going to change uh, for one thing like i said before a lot of the smarts is being it's now in sort of the microcode in these newer chips right and so at some level you're not even needing you can imagine almost not even needing to know machine learning because it's already in the chip so you so you need to buy the right chip or something so for example there's there, there's particular chips that actually have uh cameras in the chip right so it, it actually co- collects the data the image and and does object detection in real time and i heard someone talk once at a conference i did i still don't understand exactly what they mean but they basically did a, uh, it was a behavioral chip all right they detected behavioral patterns in real time and, and i don't know what that meant it, it meant maybe it meant trend lines maybe it meant anomaly detection i don't know what they meant but but behavior word behavioral on, is another tricky one behavior <laughs> on a chip i don't know that sounded kind of interesting to me so but but i can imagine that for example in a in a um uh like a a stock market high frequency trading instance where you want to see what the behavior is instantaneously as best best you can with with, when there's a very high volume of stuff going across the wire okay so what is the behavior at this moment of this ensemble of traders or something like that and so i don't know if that's what they meant but but it's it's an interesting concept to me of how you can you can whether it behavior means like ensembles or segmentation or outlier detection or trends or correlations, I'm not sure, but it sounded really interesting. Uh,
0: yeah. But <laughs> well, the idea of more of the, uh, you know, even just that comment that you made about like the chips and, you know, more of the machine learning being executed on the chips or behavioral analysis or whatever things they have deployed there, that's different. Because obviously the state of data science today is much more focused on the idea that, like, well, I'm going to collect all the data. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to run a bunch of stuff on it. And, and maybe I'll build my knowledge graph and stuff on it. But it's much more of like a collect and then build. Whereas there's this whole aspect of the edge, which is like, no, there's things that are like forward deployed, <laughs> some of which is like hard coded that like, uh, well, how does that interplay? And how do you iterate on that? You know, it's I don't know. It's interesting.
1: So there's a cycle here, right? So at the end, if you're pushing something back onto the edge, right, that's going to do the machine learning, the AI, right? that has to come, like that model has to come from somewhere. And that's going to come from, there's an initial model that was created. So you're going to bring in, you're going to still do your traditional, I mean, our, our traditional data gathering data, bring it all integrated and bring it all together, doing some machine learning stuff. Then you have to go figure out that I need to take that, put it back into the edge onto the sensor, whatever, because it's going to feed that and then there's new stuff that's going kind to of come out right i'm going to be making some decisions at that moment i'm going to learn new things i need to then send that data back to the central place and keep updating the model then send the model over there like there's this whole cycle that needs to occur over here and 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 i'm i mean are we actually prepared for Like people <laughs> that we talk to like i don't, I don't even think are, are you are you do you know how to go take your model and update it and go send it to all the different millions or billions of sensors that are out there and making sure that they're because just doing an update right i gotta go update my sensors for the zoom model that we have because we realized that the previous one was screwed up it had an error there's bias and stuff like there's going to be so much governance and things we need to go track about this like this is uh yeah i, I can i'm, I'm not realizing this is this there's next year that- is going to be so many more, so much more things to go tr- keep track of. Oh,
2: you're such a doomsayer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, It's more problems, more things to go work opportunity. on. I mean, yeah, opportunity. Opportunity, right? Okay. Well, let's, well,
2: mean, well, let me tell you a story. I mean, uh, I worked at NASA for 20 years or in some capacity. I was never a NASA civil servant employee, but I worked on projects with NASA, Hubble Space Telescope for one. And uh, I left that role 18 years ago. But even then, 18 plus years ago, we were talking about this very topic. And so we didn't have too many GPUs in those days, but they had these FPGA, floating point graphic accelerators. And the FPGA was essentially what you were just describing. It's a programmable chip. Okay. So NASA's idea was we were going to deploy these chips on our deep space probes. And these probes would be programmed to do certain things, you know, like collect soil samples on Mars, take images of the moons of Saturn, what, you know, measure, you know, electron density and interplanetary medium, things like this, right? So, but you want to be able to recode that if you discover something and you say, well, we were sampling this every 30 seconds, but we better start sampling this every five seconds because, you know, there's something going on here. Or conversely, you know, gee, we don't need to sample every 30 seconds, maybe every 30 days because it never changes. All right, so so they, we were having this conversation about, uh, how do you update the microcode on the chip, you know, in a in a, disk, in a remote sensor, based upon data you've collected you you, and then you upload new code back to the sensor so that it says it's collecting data you know it's doing the right thing and so so it's not quite as much detail as one you were just describing but it was it was the same general idea is that you're gonna you need to update what's the computing that's happening in the road environment so so nasa never called it edge computing but that's basically what they were doing right they'd send these probes in deep space and they basically you couldn't wait for a command from earth because the light travel time for the the probe to report back to Earth, hey, I got a problem, and then Houston to send back a reply would be ours, right? It needs it needs to decide in real time, and so, so a lot of the programs that NASA sent up their probes, they they have what they call safe mode. If something just goes wonkers, okay, it just it puts itself, it turns off all the sensors and puts everything in a safe operating condition, so it stops doing all things that might be upsetting to the machine, and just say, okay, let's let's turn everything down, put it in low power mode wait for us wait for a command from houston to tell us what to do next okay it's like so a timeout, right <laughs> a timeout, exactly and so that's how they dealt with it because okay so we can't we can't we can't put you know these are small the things that are shipped up there in space are small right i mean we're only getting to the age now where we're talking about sending really huge things up in space right but the, those initial probes they were the size of a of a water bottle okay so they're not very weren't very okay a little bit bigger than that but not much so they, so they had to have sort of limited resources on the ship and then they had these ways of dealing with issues like this. So then they start talking about what do we, what can we do about sending reconfigurable chips up there, things that we can reprogram in that, in that remote environment. So anyway, I'm just saying this because it's not a new conversation. It's just now we have capabilities we never had before to do a lot of cool things. Hmm. We never talked about putting machine learning on chips like that. We weren't talking about AI in the chip. We were just talking about, you know, instead of sampling every 30 seconds, sample the data every five seconds of this particular data. So we weren't doing any rocket science. Well, I guess we were but anyway. <laughs>
0: we weren't doing data science. It was only <laughs> rocket science, right? Yeah.
1: Oh, it was only
2: rocket science. That's right.
1: What <laughs> a lot of this conversation, the conversation we're having now, it seems to me that it's more about um, the sensors, right? The actual things that right, the internet of things. But not all companies are dealing with sensors, right? I just got a bunch of data. I mean, you were mentioned before, Kirk, like, all. Well, uh I, I have my e-commerce and we have a, a, a e-commerce company and they want to go do something real time very quickly and you said something like do the web anal- let the web analytics uh, that's the edge right there how does it how does this whole notion of edge intelligent edge and stuff works with companies who are not dealing with sensors or is this more around sensors and that type of hardware
2: well you're right i mean if, if they're not dealing with sensors it, it makes a l- less sense uh, but we're, we're, more of us are dealing with more sensors than we care to admit, right? Cause there's this thing called a smartphone. All right. And every employee has a smartphone and those smart, they, okay. they tell you where, where people are, where they're moving, what they're doing. I mean, there's all kinds of information being collected there. Right. And we got, okay. Some of that might be surveillance and we got some legal issues here, but not all of it. So, so when people are shopping online, where are they shopping? Hey, if you're shopping in this, this mall, and I know that you're shopping at that mall and my store has a sale. Uh, maybe I can just uh, sort of drop an ad in on in, <laughs> in one of those uh one of those apps you're using, right? So, so so that location intelligence can be very powerful for even small stores, right? And they don't. And then again, it's, it's edge intelligence because you got to know where that the person is doing this thing at this place at this time, or or shopping for this particular product. So you need to have that that extra contextual information besides. Oh, maybe this person would like to buy, you know, a book on. Tiny ML today. Well, no. Well, they're actually at a restaurant. Maybe they would like to know what are the sales from these types of foods today instead of tiny ML books.
1: <laughs> so this is a good point because technically everybody has is connected somehow to sensors because of at least our phone, right? So that that that. So we always have this notion: like you're you're going to be related to this intelligent edge somehow because well, because if you're dealing with phones. Now, one of the things that worries me now is that you look at all the apps I have on my phone. I'm like, wait, this is an app that deals with pictures, and I have to go download this 300 megabyte app to go do some stuff. It's like, really are we? Are people not even being trained then to go <laughs> deal with, uh, uh, think about uh, being cognizant with the amount of space and and, and 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 time that they have on 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 on, on a on a phone?
2: Well, I think we we are in the era of small data, right? So this is one of the emerging trends in the the gartner hype cycle this year small data because we're we're realizing that we need laser focused targeted personalized hyper personalized data so so hyper personalization is one of the consequences of this industry 4.0 we were talking about this hyper connectivity once we see all these connections we we we, it's like a big knowledge graph right We, we we focus down on the very edge and nodes in that knowledge graph that matter in this moment in this time in this context and so so what you really brought up to me is what i call the space time continuum of data all right because no matter what your business is something is happening at a place at a time but it's not just those coordinates right so i'm a am I'm a, a physicist that's what i learned about hyper dimensional coordinate systems we've got time axis and the space axis so so I, albert einstein correctly pointed out that this is a space time continuum those are those axes space and time are interchangeable in the right way Well, we also have another kind of continuum of of data, the the characteristics, the dimensions that describe a customer or the dimensions that describe a product or the dimensions that describe the market or describe your company. I mean, columns, think of them just columns in a database. We got XYZ coordinates of something or a thing or a product. We got the time, the day, whatever and we got these other dimensions. What's the product? What's the customer? What are they buying? Where are, they? I mean, so so it, it's a hyper-dimensional space. This, it's a space-time continuing that every business, every company lives in. Now, whether they want to explore it that way is up to them, obviously, and whether it makes sense for them to explore it that way, again, is up to them. I'm not saying that it makes sense for every company to do this. Okay, but look at that hyper-dimensional space and saying, when this thing happened, what else was happening in that space? So I talk about, I talk to people about what I call the stellar analytics scorecard and three of those dimensions, S-T-E-L-L-A-R, is edge, location, and related entity. You know, E-L-R, but I won't get bored with all the other ones. <laughs> you know, team analytics, agile analytics, they got some of those letters in there. But, but time, okay, so edge computing is, is, is basically uh, the, the edge at the moment of time, what's happening at this moment in time. Location analytics is what's happening at this location. For example, you might be at a sporting event, and it's important to know you're at a sporting event before you get recommended a certain thing. All right. And there's also R, the related entity analytics, which is those other dimensions in the space-time continuum. You know, what other things are like this? And this in my data space, products, services, other customers, other behaviors, other preferences okay so so look at that hyperdimensional space do the segmentations and the clustering analysis in those hyper dimensions in space time and related entity uh you know just your basically your, your features in your in your feature engineering so so you still need the data scientist to figure out what are the important features and in that space now you're not doing just edge computing you're doing intelligent edge because it's all about the lo- where in time where in space and where in that related entity space is something happening and what do i need to do and what action do i need to take next because of this
0: mm-hmm. you know this idea of small data and this idea of the space-time continuum of data both feel like not only are they very interesting in terms of spelling out where the intelligent edge is trying to drive us towards but also they feel intimately connected with this idea of of the knowledge graph and the fact that knowledge and wisdom if we go back to that analogy we talked about earlier right that if, if it's a pyramid, ideally, the wisdom and the knowledge is actually smaller data. It's, you know, it's the moments of intent. It's the critical pieces of information that are the conclusions that are the things that you were trying to boil down to, as opposed to the big ocean of everything. Um, it seems like that's, we're, we're trying to do be- a better job of getting to, getting to that, that top of the pyramid there.
2: Yeah. So the knowledge um, graph itself can be large, right? But mm-hmm. the part that you need. You know the 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 key edges and nodes in that graph that say this causes that to happen, and therefore when I see this happening, I need to do this to cause the better outcome. Okay, so you need to so so knowledge is knowing how to navigate through that knowledge graph, just like through your data graph, to say what are the things that I need right now in this moment to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, there can, can, be, can be a I, lot in the knowledge can, graph. Can I just say something about e-commerce stores? Mm. <laughs> Back in the day, when I was was working on really these really big data astronomy projects, and um, we invited this uh, guy from uh, eBay, I won't name him because he's out pretty active in the world. But but anyway, one of the probably the smartest people in analytics, I think I've ever met in my life. I mean, he just told the most amazing stories. This was like fifteen plus years ago. So he was the director of analytics eBay. And he said, you know, we do A-B testing on eBay. And I, and of course at that point as an astronomer, 15, 20 years ago, I wasn't thinking about what A-B testing was. So he explained how, you know, they changed the font sizes and the colors. They change the size of the image of the product that's being sold, the location on the page, where do they put the price? Where do they put the, you know, the bids and the latest bid? I mean, so they they, or they they move things around all over the place to see what really works. And he said, okay, that's, so we, we, we do A-B testing. We try the change. So that's the A group, and then we, we, don't, we have the, the control group, the B group, where we don't make the change and see if the, what the response is to the changes. <clears throat> okay, so it's, I'm, I'm thinking now, okay, I get it now. So what about what are you telling me here? He said, well, guess how many A-B tests we do every day on the eBay e-commerce site? I said, I have no idea, 100,000. I was just being really extreme gross. Like, like <laughs> it's not going to be 100,000, right? So I just said that number. He said 30 million. I said, wait a minute, 30 million per day? He said yes 30 million tests per day we're talking about edge intelligence here they're finding out in real time 30 million times a day what works and what doesn't work on their e-commerce site." now granted they're ebay and they have an enormous e-commerce site but nevertheless it it just like startled completely startled me and this was very highly irrelevant because i was working on this astronomy project which is just going to start it's actually going to start next year the survey it's been taking 20 years to build the telescope in Chile, by the way. <laughs> Sarah, and Joe. Uh, it's, it's going to collect images of the sky, the whole southern sky, every 20 seconds for 10 years during the night, of course, not daytime. <laughs> every 20s. And it's going to image 100 million objects every 20 seconds. And because the night sky is variable, stars vary, black holes vary, galaxies vary, all kinds of things vary. They move, they change brightness. There's going to be like 20 million events a night that's nothing compared to the 30 million things this guy was testing we had to, at 20 million times a night they had the, the astronomers not I no longer work on the project but I did for many years 20 million times a night you got to make a decision do I take an action or not take an action when I see this unusual thing happening in the night sky an action might be to notify someone or do whatever do whatever but anyway the, the idea is that that's edge intelligence because you can't like send it back what they're going to do is they're going to ship all the data back up, up by fiber optic cable under the atlantic ocean back to the united states to process it but it's going to take a year to process a lot of data like that this is so uh to, so, yeah. this. so the national science foundation which funded this project along with the department of energy for different reasons a billion dollars of your tax dollars are worth one of the requirements on the project is within 60 seconds of that image you have to alert the world what's going on in the sky <laughs> 10 million times a night you have to publish an alert for every single one of those events and so you have to define what do i mean by an event what do i mean by something changing what do i mean by something being interesting i mean okay now we're talking like domain expertise to the max here but it all starts with the data bits the data bit that <laughs> is an outlier there's a trend change there's a color change there's a movement change oh my gosh so, so so we can define in words that every that any human can understand you know, it got brighter it moved <laughs> but then say well okay why is that important to an astronomer now you have the domain expertise that that defines sort of the knowledge that's in that particular piece of information right you're send, you're i mean you've got to the world you've got domain knowledge right. here
0: you've got big so data what here right yeah, so you've what got you a lot of is, moving pieces that are part of this yeah
2: so what you can do is you can subscribe to their email stream and get 10 million emails a night for 10 years okay no i'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding you don't do that. so what you so what they're creating is basically a data catalog and i think you love that phrase since we're on the catalogs and cocktails they're creating a data catalog where you can subscribe i want specific types of events to be alerted i'm a supernova person let's say so a, a supernova an exploded car has a star has a very specific characteristic. So when you see this characteristic, I want to be notified and that'll happen maybe 10 or hundred times a night. So I don't mind getting a 10 or hundred emails a night. If you see this kind of fast moving object of this brightness, it might be the killer asteroid that's going to wipe out civilization. I want to know about that one. <laughs> fast, <laughs> please. <laughs> I want to check my 401k, make sure my children are safe. Oh wait a minute! All civilizations gonna be wiped out. So what difference does it make? <laughs> I want to go. Yep. Get that. I want to go get that steak dinner I've been denying myself for past five years. <laughs> oh,
1: Kirk, this has been an awesome discussion. I, 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 we could just sit with, talk to you for hours. I got so much stuff, but let's go into our our, our lightning round here. So, so quick quick questions. Uh, uh, yes and no answers. And I think we're gonna just ask you to predict the future, Kirk. So. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go, I'll well, go hopefully first. Hopefully your
0: so, space-time continuum machine is working well. <laughs>
2: uh, let me check. So,
1: <laughs> so enterprise knowledge graphs will become the top buzzword in the next couple of years. Yes or no?
2: Say the question again. My
1: my time machine wasn't listening. Okay. Now you're listening. Ready. So enterprise knowledge graphs will become a top buzzword in the next couple of years. Yes. Tim.
0: Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two. So we didn't have a chance to talk too much about sort of ml and model ops and that sort of thing but blank ops sure is kind of the thing these days right blank ops dev ops now anything ops um the blank ops trend will continue to become more prevalent and more overused over the coming couple years here if you
2: emphasize the word overused
1: yes <laughs> <laughs>
2: prevalent <and> therefore yes <laughs>
1: all right I'll follow with my trend I could still on knowledge graph so knowledge graph at the edge will become a thing in the next five years
2: Good question <laughs> I'd like to be optimistic but five years might be too soon for all of that power at the edge but I' so be wrong prove me wrong i want to be proved. i want to be proved wrong all right it's a challenge one all right (laughs) i think it's wonderful if that happens but prove me wrong so i I appreciate your honest answer there uh, (laughs) because you know
0: that one i was also thinking about i was like "Mm, 10 years years,
2: i'm not saying i don't want that i want that (laughs) just like i want that steak dinner but it ain't gonna
1: happen (laughs) yeah
0: once we do that then we can really we can really get this intelligent edge going um Okay, final lightning round question here for you, Kirk. Uh, will all companies eventually have their digital twin?
2: No. It uh, doesn't make There's a lot of companies, it doesn't make sense.
1: I love that. So whoever's listening, if you uh thinking you need to have a digital twin initiative, whatever, really, really think about if you need a digital twin. That's the honest no BS, right? <laughs> I love this stuff. So <laughs> All right, uh, takeaway time. T T T. Tim, take it away with our takeaways. Oh my goodness! You go first.
2: Tim's takeaway time.
0: Tim's takeaway times. <laughs> T three. Um, that's. There's. There's so much ground we covered here. I think one of the things that really came across to me was um, your use of the phrase small data. Like that moment kind of struck me, and I'm excited that that's becoming a little bit more of a thing because I think when we talk about knowledge, we talk about wisdom, we talk about like what's the point of all this big data, it was to actually unlock the next step here, which is really the small data like that, that is like, it's like it all came back. It's all full circle. We just wanted to have better small data and we had to pass through the big data to get to it. And when you think about all the things that we're doing and pushing to the edge around intelligence and around, you know, the AI uh, related things, your example of the NASA you know, probes and things like that, it seems like it all goes around this idea of trying to be more dynamic be smarter and, and actually get back to small data at the edge. So I think that that's one mm-hmm. of my my big takeaways here.
1: And mine 20. quickly 21. are, I think, industry, four, industry 4.0, it's all about hyper-connectivity. Your knowledge is being transported. It's all being connected everywhere. And the this honest, no BS definition of the digital twin, it's a computer model of the real thing. So if there was a problem, you can go press play and replay it and see where the glitched happened. so you can go simulate. The, the Intelligent Edge is a system to respond at the point of data collection and basically let's put the smart where the data is and hey everybody potentially has is part of it right we all have our phones and our our phones are our sensors and i love the whole large amounts of small data i think that's the way you go think about it so we got a couple seconds here uh, left kirk throw it back to you what's your advice and second who should we invite next
2: well, my advice ties right back to our toast at the beginning. And that is uh, about education, start of the school year. So my advice is to stay a lifelong learner. Uh, no matter where you are, what you're doing, uh, always be in learning mode. I mean, I think, you know, my background's physics and astronomy, when, you know, learned physics and I did colliding galaxies and black hole accretion disks. if any of that makes any sense to people years ago. And uh, now I'm advising companies in, in medicine and cybersecurity and, and behavior analytics and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's because, uh, you know, I'm not, that I'm any kind of special person, but I just never stop learning. I just always was learning new things. It's opened the doors for many opportunities in my life. And I encourage people to always uh, do that. Just be on the lookout for new things to learn because the door might open not this week or next week, but many years later. So I started learning about machine learning in 1997, 24 years ago right yep. and i started my own data leadership group llc four months ago so okay sometimes it takes a little while but i also but now i work as a, at a startup data prime i should mention that i work at a startup which is doing ai and all kinds of cool places and that uh, that's what i've been doing the last four months so um uh, anyway so uh,
1: and who should we invite
2: next i would suggest if you haven't already had kate Strachny on she is just a fireball of, of building up the data community she runs the cated conference uh every, like three times yeah. four times a year I don't, I don't know most conferences you get people run them like one year and they're exhausted i used to do that at nasa we ran this data centers conference every two years it, kate runs the dedicated covers like four times a year so i think she's just amazing uh knowledge uh community building person i'd, I'd, I'd love to have you have, you have her on and, and watch that episode
1: love it kirk this was awesome Thank you so much for this discussion about about, talking about industry uh, (laughs) revolution 4.0 intelligent edge. And and there's so many more buzzwords we can do this. We should do this again. Go I must find more more buzzwords. Kurt, cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers.
0: It's been fantastic. Really (laughs) glad to have you here.